right. How is everybody this morning? Good. I'm waiting for the week where everybody starts avoiding the shade and starts moving into the sun. I feel like I feel like we are not too far away from that. I don't know about you guys, but uh, fall starting kind of caught me off guard. It feels like we've been in perpetual summer for a long time, which has been great. Uh, and normally I enjoy fall a lot, but certainly this is an unusual fall that we find ourselves in. I also just want to take a minute to thank all of you for being here. Um, certainly there are folks that are watching online as well that don't feel safe being here. Thank you guys for that are joining us online as well. But yeah, it's just a tremendous testament to, um, I guess, the, the grace of God that you are all here with us this morning. And so I want to thank you for that. Let me see if I can get this microphone to do any better. We'll see. Okay. So when I was a sophomore in high school, I took a public speaking class. If you enjoy listening to me give sermons, I guess you can say thank you to that sophomore uh, high school teacher. If not, you can blame her, whatever you prefer. Uh, students were asked to create talks of varying lengths to present to the class. The teacher did seem to think that I was good at giving speeches. She also seemed to think that I was somewhat annoying. She thought I talked too much. I didn't think I talked too much. I just thought my voice carried better than anybody else's voices. And you would think as someone that was a public speech teacher that she would have thought that that was a, something worth celebrating, but she did not. One of the projects we were assigned came midway through the class. We were going to be placed on a team with another student. Who liked team projects when they were in school? Raise their hand. Real, okay, so like four people, right? Nobody likes team projects in school besides four people, and I don't know why. Um, the, the, the goal of the project was we were assigned this topic and we were going to debate another team. The topic that me and my teammate were assigned was that the minimum drinking age should be lowered from 21 to 18 years of age. Well, this is not an easy position to defend or one I personally agree with. I felt pretty confident about my debating skills. I did not feel confident in my partner. The teacher intentionally gave me the worst partner in the class. I could never decide if this was punishment for me being annoying to her or a compliment for my ability to talk. My partner's name was Tony. I'll be generous and say that academics were not Tony's strongest area. I still recall the speech that he had given earlier in the class that was stopped halfway through about work that he had done on a farm because it was so inappropriate. The worst thing about having Tony as a partner is that the teacher stated both people on the teams would receive the same grade. I was only going to do as well on the project 
is I can help Tony do. When it comes to doing well at the project of life we have all been assigned, we are all Tonys. God knows what the limitations of people are. We are not the sharpest knives in the drawer or the brightest bulbs. I don't just mean intellectually. I mean in our whole being, body, mind, and spirit, all of us are impacted by the corrosive impact of sin. None of us is in a position to succeed independently in life. Despite this, God chooses to partner with us. He does so knowing our ability to achieve any success in life is dependent on Him. So let's turn now to Genesis 12, beginning in verse 1. This is the final sermon in our Cognitive Behavioral Theology sermon series we've been doing this summer. In these verses, God's plan for partnership with humanity takes a huge leap forward. We will read through verse 9 of Genesis chapter 12. You can also use the insert in your bulletin. That is from the ESV translation of the Bible. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the, through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. When I was a kid, we would often sing Father Abraham at church. Abraham had many sons. I am one of them, and so are you. In these verses, we see the beginnings of how the claim of that song came to be true. God initiated a personal partnership with one man that would end up being a blessing to all people. This is how God prefers to work in the world. Through individual partnerships, 
He changes the world for all people. You would think that if you were going to operate in this way, and if you were God, you would choose the best possible people to help. God doesn't, though. He recognizes that all people are incapable of doing what needs to be done. The success of the partnership is dependent on God. The story of Abram shows us how God works. God partners with people that have no capacity to succeed on their own. He ensures success. This is how God wants to operate with each of us. We can't do what God is calling us to do. So God does it with us. God calls Abraham. He is the one taking the initiative. Prior to these verses, we really don't know much about Abraham. We know a little about his family background. He is a descendant of Seth and Shem. God had promised good things would come through that family. There's a bit of information about his father, but we don't know about Abram personally. As he, his son, grandsons, and great-grandsons will repeatedly show, they are not shining beacons of goodness that God took notice of and decided to reward. If you want to know how imperfect people are, you can just read the remainder of the book of Genesis. Every good move by Abram and his descendants is offset by three bad moves that seem way worse. They are responsible for double dealing lying, murder, and prostitution. God did not align himself with Abram due to the goodness he saw in him. God does so of his own volition. He is working out the promises he has made to Adam, Eve, and Noah through pursuing this relationship. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the covenant God made with Noah. In that covenant, God promised to not bring about wholesale destruction of humanity again as he had done so with the flood. He committed himself to people. In this initial interaction with Abram, we see what that means for God. He has committed himself to working things out in the world through people. Abram is an important move in God's grand plan to redeem human life. Abram, to his credit, responds to the Lord's initiative. This is not a small undertaking. People move all the time in the modern world. I am from Tennessee. Many of you are from other places all around the country. Some of you have lived in different spots all around the world. At the time Abram lived, leaving everything you had ever known was not a routine occurrence. There were bandits on the road. No maps existed. 
your family was really your sole source of security and protection. Add to that, he is hitting the road after hearing God speak to him. I don't imagine this could have been well received by his family and friends. They probably thought he was crazy. In the New Testament, Abram is repeatedly credited for his faith. Paul talks about Abram's faith in his letters. Hebrews does as well. Romans 4.18 says, In hope he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Hebrews 11.8 adds, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Abram is completely dependent on God. He is trusting God's call on his life. He believes that Yahweh has the power to do what he says he will do despite the lack of evidence for that proposition. God promises to bless Abram. In verse 2, God says, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. Just like the call, the blessing promised Abram is undeserved. God blesses because it, is his, because it is in his nature to do so. He is the source of life. His desire is to give life. The resources available at God's disposal are infinite. What God tells Abram he will do defies comprehension. Abram just wanted to have a kid. That really isn't such a big thing to ask. Just one boy to carry on the family name. That was the desire of his heart. He would have been at peace with a descendant. God says to him, I will make of you a great nation. The undeserved blessing God seeks to give Abram does not mean that it is not contingent. The Massachusetts state treasurer has an unclaimed property division. They have a website that you can go to and you plug your name in, you search for your name, and it tells you if you are owed any money by banks or insurance companies or other institutions. I checked to see if I was owed any money this week and I was not owed any money, which was sad. I did decide to randomly put in the name of somebody in this church that popped in my head and it turned out they had five or six things listed. So hopefully they are owed millions of dollars, but it's probably like $2 per claim. Abram was told by God to go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. If he hadn't gone, if he hadn't responded in faith, what would have happened? God would have figured out a way to move forward with humanity. But Abram would have personally missed out. 
while God doesn't owe us anything in the way the Massachusetts Treasury Department does, it is necessary to respond in faith to enjoy the blessings he has for us. To get money from the Massachusetts Treasury, you have to submit a claim. Thankfully, God doesn't require paperwork. He does let us know we need to move forward in faith. We need to submit our hearts to fully enjoy all that he willingly promises. The blessings of God we enjoy are contingent on the faith we exhibit. Too many Christians claim to believe they think God is all-powerful and good without those beliefs making any real difference in their lives. Intellectual assent is not what God is looking for. You know who else believes in God? James 2.19 says, You believe that there is one God? Good! Even the demons believe and shudder. God's desire is for people to stake everything on Him. He is looking for people with hearts that are head over heels in love with Him. The more we turn our whole being over to God, the more we will experience His blessings. It is always necessary to give the qualification when talking about blessings that God isn't promising us a beach house or a fancy new car. God gives the people who turn to him in faith a life of infinite value, a place in his kingdom. Those who focus on material blessings are missing the point. If it seems like God is expecting too much faith from people, you might want to evaluate who is actually being sacrificial. No person is actually making any real sacrifice when they have faith in God. We may think we are, but we are just giving up the desires of the flesh that destroy us. We are like a person getting married to some billionaire who is hesitant to give up their financial independence even though they are drowning in credit card debt. What exactly are we so reticent to give up? Don't be ridiculous. Every good thing any person has already belongs to God. He allows us to enjoy his world, right down to the air that fills your lungs. It is all His. God is the one doing the giving. He is the one making all the sacrifices in the relationship. He does so through Jesus Christ to the fullest. God comes into the world, taking on human flesh and empties Himself taking the form of a servant. Why? He is motivated by his great love for you and I. He wants you 
to be great. He wants you to be great. He knows for that to happen, he has to bring it about. God knows how far we all have to go. He wants you to enjoy the blessings he has for you. In God's engagement with Abram, we see a huge step forward in how God wants to relate to all people. God promises, in Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is an exponentially greater promise than what God has already said he would do. Remember the situation Abram is in. He's an old man with no children. There's no evidence that he can do what God is saying. God says that through Abram, he is going to do something that will bless the whole world. Throughout the rest of the Bible, we see how human history swings on what God promises in these verses. In this most important endeavor, God includes people in his plan, not because he needs the help of people, but because it pleases him to do so. Through Abram, the nation of Israel will come into existence. That is really cool. I, I would love it if hundreds of years later, people are looking back and be like, a whole nation came out of that one guy. I don't think that's likely to happen. But the more important promise that God will fulfill is blessing the whole world through Jesus, who is Abram's descendant. God works through people to bring about his good purposes. Individual people made in his image that are broken by sin. Spiritually, we are all Tonys, remember? Totally unable to succeed in the project of life on our own. God chooses to associate himself with our ineptitude. We see this again and again, even in the miracles the Bible reports. We think of miracles as being something that God does. That's true. Although he rarely does them without human involvement. God told Moses to instruct Israel to move forward as God split the sea. Elijah built the altar that burned with fire from heaven. Mary was pregnant with the Messiah. Even the truth of scripture was communicated through human minds and written down with human hands. God has not given up on working miraculously through his people. The question is, will his people respond in faith to the miracles, to the blessings that God wants to do? He has every reason to quit on us. We consistently fall short, fail, and sin. We consistently look to this world to provide meaning and salvation for our lives. Our thinking is short term. Our desires are selfish. We are not very good partners. Even when we try to do the right thing, we are often confused about what that is. God has every reason to give up on us. 
God does not quit. God is faithful. He is ready to move forward. Through Christ, we operate as Abram's offspring, inheritors of the promises. God will bless those who call on his name. God is patiently waiting for the time that we are ready to respond in faith. He is still able to do miracles. Right now, we need a miracle in our world. Not a physical miracle. I mean, those are nice. Don't get me wrong, if God miraculously took away coronavirus right now, if we could all get back to our normal way of living, that's something that I would give a round of applause to. But more than that, we need a spiritual miracle. There are so many problems in the world we live in. There is so much brokenness in our nation. We need God to be at work. When Tony and I finished our debate for my high school public speaking class, I returned to my seat, resigned to the fact I was going to get a low grade. I had done everything I could to make our partnership a success, but I couldn't overcome Tony's limitations. The debate had gone as well as could be expected, which was still not good. Thankfully, the teacher recognized that she had put me in a position where I could not succeed. She secretly gave Tony and I different grades after all. God does not share my limitation in his partnerships with people. God can overcome my limitations. He can overcome yours as well. His project will succeed. If we become one with Christ, we will receive a passing grade. God will change the world, however limited the people he partners with are. The success of the partnership is dependent on God. The story of Abram shows us how God works. God partners with people that have no capacity to succeed on their own. He ensures success. This is how God wants to operate with each of us. We can't do what God is calling us to do on our own, so God does it with us. The question for us is how we will respond to the grace, to the blessings that God shows us. This summer, we've been looking at the theology of man. It's most basic. The theology of man is that God loved man too much to let us fail. And so he became a man to guarantee our success. And that is what we celebrate. That is the reason that we give God our praise.
Let's pray. Dear Lord, our failures are easily identifiable. We fail in our relationships with the people you have placed in our lives. We fail as spouses and as parents, as employees and citizens, Lord. Even when we are doing our best, it somehow goes awry. And Lord, we most importantly fail in our relationship with you. But despite all of that, Lord, you have chosen to partner with humanity. You have chosen to extend your grace to individual people. And we, we thank you for that. We praise you for that. Lord, I pray that those here today, those watching online, would respond in faith to the blessings that you desire to pour out, Lord. I ask that you would be with us, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would operate in our lives to bring about the faith that we need to exhibit. Dear Lord, as we move forward in our lives, I pray that our faith would be in you and not in anything this world has to offer, however seductive it might be. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We will now sing hymn number 200.